Welcome to The Hot Route, a sports podcast serving up quick reads and hot takes with a particular focus on the NFL. I'm your host, John Peterson. Week one's in the books, and we saw some interesting things. Now, whether you're a season-long fantasy player, a DFS player, or you just want to know how your favorite team might fare in week two, here are 10 stats you need to know before Sunday's week two games. Number one, minus two. Now, that would be the number of yards that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had on six goal line carries in his rookie debut. Overall, he had an outstanding game. 25 carries, 138 yards, a pair of touchdowns, but not effective around the goal line. Something the Chiefs are worried about. And couple that with the fact that he had zero receptions on two targets. And it's safe to say that he's actually probably at peak value based on his usage pattern. Great real-world football player. But if you're a fantasy fan, you've got to actually be a little bit concerned. He's probably at peak value right now. He's not going to be able to average 25 carries per game, or he'd have 400 for the season, which would be pretty close to an NFL record and probably unsustainable for a guy who's 5'7", 205 pounds. He also probably can't maintain his 5.5 yards per carry. So what you're really looking at is a player who is going to be most effective between the 20s and is not getting a lot of third down work. They don't seem to trust him yet to protect Patrick Mahomes, the $450 million man. A lot of that work is going to Darrell Williams. So Edward Solaire, you know, his, his usage is totally fine if you're a Chiefs fan. But if you're a fantasy player, either looking at rostering him in DFS or you've got him on your season-long team or you're thinking about trading for him in season-long, uh, you know, probably realize that, you know, the sort of average that we'll expect from him is probably going to go down from here. Speaking of Super Bowl teams, the next stat you need to know is zero. Now, that would be the number of sacks that the 49ers got in their loss to the Arizona Cardinals from the combination of Nick Bosa, D. Ford, Eric Armstead, and Javon Kinlaw. And now, if you're not familiar with the name Javon Kinlaw, he is the de facto replacement for DeForest Buckner, who was traded to the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, The number 12 pick that they got back for Buckner turned into Javon Kinlaw. Now, he projects out as a little bit more of a run-stopping defensive tackle, uh, but it's still concerning that, you know, these four guys combined for zero sacks, uh, particularly against a team like the Cardinals that aren't necessarily known for having a powerhouse line. Now, Buckner plus Bosa, Ford, and Armstead combined for 33 sacks last year, but it's safe to say that this group is in for some regression. Uh, And the reason I say that is because both Bosa and Ford have struggled with injuries throughout their football careers, and in fact, D. Ford has been ruled out for this Sunday. And Eric Armstead is a guy who had a big year last year with 10 sacks, but that was in his contract year. In his previous four seasons, he had nine sacks total. So, you know, I think there's a big chance for regression from that front four for the 49ers, and that's going to spell problems for that team as a whole. They, you know, really made a a massive leap going to the Super Bowl last year after struggling in the previous year and actually earning the number two pick. Um, So I think it's a team that, you know, really is dealing with a Super Bowl hangover, and I think they're going to fall off in a big way, especially in a very tough division where they have to go up against the Seahawks, the Cardinals, and the Rams, all of whom, you know, look ready to, you know, contend for potentially a division title this year. Now, the next stat to know is one, and that would be the number of incompletions that my man, Gardner Uncle Rico Minshew, had when he was carving up the Colts on 19 of 20 passing with three touchdowns uh, in in a win on Sunday. To put that in perspective, Carson Wentz, Phillip Rivers, Tom Brady, and Ryan Fitzpatrick all had more interceptions in week one than he had incompletions. 
In fact, just throwing against air a quarterback just off of timing and miscommunication can have one incompletion. So this is definitely an impressive performance for Minshew. Now, I'm certainly not ready to declare him the next Peyton Manning, but I think it is safe to say that he did not get the memo about tanking for Trevor. And, you know, the Colts, I think there's also some implications around how we look at the Colts' defense. But this isn't a total team of scrubs. This defense has Darius Leonard. They traded for DeForest Buckner. They have Justin Houston, Houston also rushing the passer. They have Malik Hooker as a playmaker back in that secondary. So, you know, this is genuinely an impressive performance from Gardner Minshew. Uh, and I think, you know, it shows that the, the Jaguars aren't full in on tanking. Uh, but it also does show that there's some weakness, I think, to that Colts secondary. Their next game coming up is against the Minnesota Vikings, whose secondary and defense has also looked atrocious. So I think the takeaway there is that if you're an Adam Thielen owner or you're looking at a guy like Thielen in DFS, they are looking like strong plays against that Colts secondary. Uh, the other implication I would say is, you know, a guy like Kirk Cousins, you know, maybe not a terrible dart throw quarterback in a DFS format. Um, and then if you're looking at, you know, Minshew, and the Jaguars, their next matchup will be against the Titans, who managed zero sacks and zero interceptions against Drew Locke. So again, Minshew, you know, certainly not one of your elite passers, even despite this impressive game. But, you know, maybe he's not a bad dart throw if you want to invest more of your DFS dollars into receiver or running back uh, in some of those positions and go with a cheaper quarterback. The next number to know would be three. Now, that is the number of touchdown passes that Mitch Trubisky threw in the fourth quarter to spark a 27-23 comeback win over the Lions. Now, what does this say about Trubisky versus what it says about the Lions? That's a tougher read. Trubisky was 8 of 10 passing in that final quarter, but in the previous three quarters, he went 12 of 26 with no touchdowns. And that was against a Lions secondary that traded away Darius Slay and was playing without the number three overall pick, Jeff Okuda, who was kind of expected to sort of take over as the shutdown corner on that team. So, you know, really, I think it just kind of shows just how inconsistent we can expect Trubisky to be. But also, you know, it, it points to the struggles of the Matt Patricia era in Detroit. You know, the Lions, in addition to giving up those three touchdown passes, their running back, DeAndre Swift, a rookie, dropped what would have been a game-winning touchdown pass in the second-to-last play of the game. And, you know, the Lions are just kind of left with more questions than answers at this point. Now, for Trubisky, you know... After everything we've seen from him throughout his career, it's hard to really feel like this is turning the corner for him, but maybe we'll have a better read after this coming week when he goes up against the Giants. It's a pretty good matchup for him. So, you know, if he's ever going to turn the corner, you would think this would be it. A couple of, you know, softer matchups in a row. We'll see what happens. Speaking of quarterbacks, the next stat is 5.3. Now that is the average yards per attempt for Drew Brees against the Buccaneers in a game in which Michael Thomas had just three catches. Really, overall, a very quiet game for Breeze. Didn't attempt much downfield. Very much a dink-and-dunk attack. Now, that Buccaneers defense is pretty good, uh, and in particular in the second half of last year, that secondary really came on. Um, but, you know, three catches for 17 yards for Michael Thomas, that's concerning. And this week, Breeze is going to be without Thomas, who's dealing with a high ankle sprain. So I think you're 100% selling on starting Breeze this week. Even in a good matchup against the Raiders, I would not be starting him. Uh, I also think that there's maybe sneaky upside to a player like Latavius Murray. He had 15 carries against a very tough Buccaneers front, but you know McCaffrey just went off for 23 yards and I believe something like 94, 97 yards. 
uh, with a couple of touchdowns. So, you know, Murray, I think, is a good value play this week because I think the Saints will look to establish the ground game against a relatively soft Raiders defense. The next statistic to know is 10. Now, that would be the number of points the Titans missed out on due to three field goal misses and an extra point attempt miss from Steven Goskowski. Now, Goskowski did eventually convert his final kick, which was a game winner against the Broncos, but the weak kicking actually masked a fairly efficient offensive performance from the Titans against a pretty good Denver defense. Corey Davis finally had that big breakout game everyone was looking for, seven catches for 101 yards. Tannehill was pretty efficient, and Derrick Henry went over 100 yards, albeit he needed a monster workload, 31 carries to do so. And he actually averaged slightly less than four yards per carry. So not the most efficient game from him, um, but still overall a solid performance. It was kind of masked by the fact that the Titans only put up 16 points, uh, again, due to those kicking inefficiencies. Now, last year, they only actually made eight field goals as a team. So it seems like special teams here might just be a real problem. Perhaps there are problems with the holder, problems with the snaps, uh, maybe even the special teams coordinator. Um but either way, I feel like Corey Davis is actually a sneaky good start this week, especially with A.J. Brown out against the Jaguars, uh, so he could be in line for a big day. Now, speaking of wide receivers, the next number to note is 14, and that's the number of catches Devontae Adams put up against the Vikings. Now, this says something both about Devontae Adams and about the Vikings. These two teams know each other well. Adams has had a lot of big games against the Vikings. You know, they knew, obviously, that he's Aaron Rodgers' favorite target, that he's going to be a target monster, and they still had no answers for him. And again, that 100% speaks to how good Devontae Adams is, but it also speaks to how bad that secondary is. Xavier Rhodes, Trey Waynes, and Mackenzie Alexander are all gone. Um, but, you know, it, and even those players didn't play well last year, they really didn't add anyone new, which is cause for concern, because if there were already guys in-house that were better than those three, they probably would have already played last year. So I think the Vikings secondary is going to be a real problem all year long. Um, and the other problem for the Vikings was that there was no pass rush. They added Yannick Ngakwe in the offseason, and coupled with Danielle Hunter, there was an expectation that the pass rush at least would be good, but they had no sacks against Aaron Rodgers. So that speaks to how good Rodgers' protection is. It speaks to how motivated he is after the drafting of Love behind him at quarterback. And I think, you know, Adams is going to continue to be a target monster. Now, he isn't always going to have 14 catches for 151 yards and a pair of scores. But going up against a Lions team that just melted down against Mitch Trubisky, I think you're definitely starting Adams. I think he's worth paying up for in DFS this week. And, you know, I think that he's looking good, but if you're, you know, a Vikings fan like myself, they're in trouble. Um, I think the Colts have a good matchup. Paris Campbell, T.Y. Hilton, even Phillip Rivers. I don't necessarily know that he's at 38, still an elite uh, real-world quarterback. But from a DFS standpoint, he could be a nice play this week. Now, speaking of... Now, the next stat I want to cite is 27. And that would be the number of consecutive unanswered points the Philadelphia Eagles gave up to the Washington football team on Sunday. And this really was almost a, almost a tale of two halves. The Eagles jumped out to a early 17-0 lead, then gave up a late touchdown right before the half. And after that, they gave up another 20 points in the second half and really looked outmatched on both sides of the ball. I'm certainly not ready to declare myself a Dwayne Haskins believer or buy into that Washington offense at all. But that defense not only exposed just how much Philadelphia's line is struggling this season, but also showed that they have a chance to be I think a special defense, particularly that front four. They already had Duran Payne, Montez Sweat, and Ryan Kerrigan rushing the passer up front. And adding Chase Young to that group 
really just makes that one of the dominant defensive line groups in the NFL. And I think that that defense is going to give a lot of teams a lot of problems. And if you're an Eagles fan, it really doesn't look like they've solved any of their problems from last year. And on top of that, they have offensive line struggles to boot now to go with their lack of receivers and their lack of offensive weapons. Miles Sanders was out, so perhaps him being back this week can kind of turn things around for them. But I really have no idea why they're favorites this week against the LA Rams, who are fresh off a good victory over the Cowboys, where they look cohesive on both sides of the ball. If you're a sports better like I am, I think the smart money here would be on the Rams, not on the Eagles. Um, and, you know, when it comes to Washington, uh, I, I definitely wouldn't count on Kyler Murray repeating his big week one now that he's facing them. Uh, Murray definitely benefited from a weak San Francisco pass rush. They didn't sack him once, whereas Washington is coming off an eight-sack performance as a defensive unit. So I think they're definitely going to give him a little bit more of a problem uh, than the 49ers did. Um, but I definitely wouldn't count on Washington as a football team. Not a Dwayne Haskins believer just yet. Um, and Washington has kind of their own offensive problems with really not much beyond Terry McLaurin as far as weapons there. So we'll see what happens with Washington, but definitely by that defense. The next stat would be 143.1. And that is the opposite of defense because that is the passer race rating that Russell Wilson posted when he threw for 322 yards and four touchdowns and a dominant win over the Falcons. That offense with DK Metcalf, uh, Tyler Lockett, Chris Carson, and Greg Olson uh, definitely looks primed to break out. These are maybe the best weapons he's ever had around him. No disrespect to Doug Baldwin. Um, but there is one concerning thing here, and that's the Falcons, which are you know not necessarily a team with a great pass rush, still managed 10 quarterback hits, including six by Tack McKinley alone. So the issue here for the Seahawks is going to be that they need to keep Wilson healthy and upright. The most important ability is availability, uh, and that offensive line for Seattle has always been a problem. You can't have Wilson taking too many hits, but if they're able to protect him, this is a great start to the season. He could potentially be in for an MVP type of run here. So we'll see what happens there. Now, speaking of keeping quarterbacks healthy and upright, the next number that I want to pull out is 240. And that is the number of carries that Cam Newton is on pace for after rushing 15 times for 95 yards and a pair of scores and a win over the Dolphins. And that's just unsustainable. There's no way that a quarterback, particularly one who's on the wrong side of 30 and has a long injury history like Cam Newton does, can sustain that number of carries over a season. It's way too many. But the issue becomes, where does New England go for offense if they aren't using Cam? There really just isn't a lot there. I mean, Julian Edelman, Sonny Michel... They're just, they need some sort of spark. They need someone that scares you. And I, I'm not sure that they really have anyone else to lean on beyond Cam. I would look for Cam to continue being a weapon in the red zone. But I think eventually the, you know, the Patriots are simply going to have to, you know, limit the number of carries that he has to protect him. So I would look for them to reserve those carries for, you know, more goal line packages where they're trying to punch in in the red zone. Um, and I think ultimately it's going to be a pretty low scoring offense. So they're definitely going to have to lean heavily on that defense, which thankfully returns most of their players um, and should be a very, very good defense. I think, you know, they'll certainly be in it uh, throughout the whole, you know, kind of run for the AFC East. And I don't think either the Dolphins or the Jets are really going to make much noise this year. I think those will be a couple of doormat teams, um, particularly if the Dolphins choose to keep Tua Tagovailoa on the bench as a learning year behind Fitzpatrick this season. Um, but, you know, I would definitely be selling any Patriots on offense, um, but by that Patriots defense because they're going to need them to be great the rest of the way. And that is 10 facts for you to know before week two 
Uh, We'll see what happens in the games this week, and I'll be back next week with more insights and analysis.